Now, as we begin, let me just start by asking you, have you made your year-end holiday plans? Have you made your plans? Okay, so some, thing, some things that are coming up in church, they have been highlighted in the announcements. Right? So you know what time to stand by your computers this afternoon, right? 2 p.m. to register for the Thanksgiving year-end Thanksgiving dinner. Right? According to one travel website, 84% of Singaporeans last year booked at least one overseas vacation. And so are you one of the 84%? Anyone went overseas last year, end of last year? Can I see a show of hands? Do a survey. Okay, too shy to do it, but I believe there should be a lot more, right? Uh, we also went to Phuket last year. So the most popular destinations last year, do you know what they are? Japan, I heard, okay. Where else? Malaysia, all right. Same guesses as yesterday. Right, so according to this website, the survey shows that the most popular destinations were Bangkok, Seoul, and Kuala Lumpur. Right, so Malaysia was right. So it seemed like many people have already left for their vacations, right? You look around, a lot of people missing, right? Because they've already left, or some of you may have left and come back. Well, our family vacation last year was in Phuket, and this year, it uh, seems like everyone we, we know uh, is going to Taiwan. Anyone going to Taiwan? That seems to be the place to go this year. Uh, I see a few hands, okay? Some are already there, like, that's why they're not here. Right, but let me ask you, did you ever have to cancel your holiday plans? No? Wow, oh, so confident, okay? Never. Well, I guess in the last three years, three or four years, many of us have had to cancel our plans. We had to change our schedules because of COVID, right? So my family actually planned to visit our friends in Australia after five, six long years uh, in 2020, but those plans fell through. So we may be asking, does God also change his plans? Does he change his plans to save his people? And if we keep on saying no to God and we keep on rejecting Him, will God ever give us up? Will His salvation plan change? Well, today we shall see from Romans chapter 15 how God's salvation plan has never changed, that it always includes all His chosen people. In the previous chapter, especially chapter 14, uh, it hints at a rift between the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome. These Jews were weaker in their conviction or conscience, and so they were concerned with observing the Jewish food laws and the holy festivals. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they were stronger in their conviction, and they understood their liberty in Christ, their freedom from the Jewish law. And so the strong were despising the weak for what they perceived to be their ignorance legalism, while the weak were judging the strong for their immoral libertinism. But Paul wants both the Jews and the Gentiles to live in harmony with each other, so that they may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he asks them to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them for the glory of God. Now in this next section, we shall see that Paul makes three main points. Verses 8 to 13, he will show us that it's always been God's plan to save Gentiles along with the Jews. Verses 14 to 21, 
Paul shows his commitment to take part in God's salvation plan. And finally, in verses 22 to 33, he tells us how God has included us in his salvation plan so that you and I have a part to play in it. So let's go with the first point. It's always been God's plan to save Gentiles along with the Jews. Verse 8, we read this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. See, in this verse, the connecting word is for or because. And this tells us that Paul was making this point for the purpose that the Jews and the Gentiles may welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them. Right? So that's the purpose why he's writing this section here. If Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to the law-keeping Jews, then the Gentiles shouldn't despise the Jews for their, what they see as their ignorance with respect to the law. Instead, the Gentiles should consider how they might serve the, the Jews as Christ did. Why did Christ come to serve the Jews? Paul says this was to show God's truthfulness. First, God showed himself truthful to the promises that he made to the patriarchs, the patriarchs of Israel, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he had promised to make them into a great nation, to give them a promised land, and to bless them. And Christ came to fulfill this threefold promise of God, people, land, and blessing that he made to Abraham. Secondly, God also proved truthful to his word, his word that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. And he quotes four passages from the Old Testament concerning the Gentiles in order to show that it's always been God's plan to save the Gentiles along with his people, Israel. Why would God want to save Gentiles, you may ask? Well, when our holiday plans to go overseas fall through, sometimes we make up for them, right, with a staycation. Right? We stay in Singapore and have a vacation. And that's becoming increasingly popular with busy Singaporeans. Or perhaps we just need the, change the plans, go next year instead. But there has been no change of plans with God. It's not as if God turned to the Gentiles as his backup plan because his own people rejected him. From the very beginning, God had promised Abraham that he would bless him to be a blessing, that God would bless those who bless him and curse those who dishonor him, and that in Abraham and his descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, since Gentiles were always part of God's salvation plan, therefore Paul is showing that the Jews should not judge them or condemn them for what they see as their sense of freedom from the law. And the, the Jews see this as immoral libertinism. Rather, they should leave it to God to judge other people, to judge everyone. These passages that Paul quoted, as you see on this table, uh, they come from various places in the Old Testament. The first one comes from David's prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance in 2 Samuel 22. And that is actually repeated in Psalm 18. 
Secondly, the Song of Moses that declares God's early blessings on Israel and then Israel's subsequent rebellion. And that's in Deuteronomy 32. The third one is the psalmist call in 100, Psalm 117, a very short psalm, two verses. And he calls for Gentiles to join the Jews to praise God for his steadfast love and faithfulness. And the last one is Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah, a future king who would come from David's line. And that's found in Isaiah 11, and we read that in opening the service. All these passages point to the Lord Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises made to Israel and to David. They place Christ as the reason and the recipients of the praise and adoration of the Gentiles. Also notice how in the last column, Paul was quoting from the law, the prophets, and the writings. And these are the three sections that made up the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And as the Lord Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 44, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Paul is showing us that the whole Old Testament has been fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul teaches that as Gentiles, they shouldn't despise the Jews and that Jews shouldn't condemn Gentiles in God's church. Rather, we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. The same applies for us today as well. So the strong among us may feel free to eat, to drink, to do anything, while the weaker are still troubled in our conscience because of our past experiences. We've dealt with this in last week's sermon. So let me ask you, as we come into church this morning, did you find your heart despising a weaker brother? Did your heart condemn a stronger sister in, our, in the midst? Let us not judge each other now for what we wear or how we sing. Right? So if someone wants to raise their hand and praise God, let it be so. There's no need to, to judge them in our hearts and say, so charismatic. Right? It's fine to do that. So let's not judge each other in this way. Rather, let's be mindful as well for those of us who feel free to do all these things, uh, how our clothes and our actions may also stumble those who do struggle. So brothers and sisters, instead of judging each other and condemning each other, instead of despising one another, let us welcome one another. Paul prays this in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So here Paul was asking God to inspire hope into the hearts of both Jews and Gentiles in Rome, so that they would be able to be joyful in their hearts and to live peaceably with one another, rather than to judge and despise each other because of their diets and other practices. So Paul has said earlier in chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, people who have nothing to do with each other have been brought near to God and brought near to each other. We are now called children of God, 
and we are brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. So I believe that you and I need this prayer of Paul as well, that we may be joyful in our hearts and live peaceably with each other as we wait for our Lord's return. So I pray, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. It's always been God's plan to save the strong along with the weak. This is to show God's truthfulness to his promises, and that we might all glorify God for his mercy. So whether today you think that you are weak or you are strong, let us welcome one another. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Next, in the next section, Paul will show us how he's committed to take part in God's plan. Now, Paul seems quite confident about the, the church in Rome, the believers there. In verse 14, he says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. If you compare what he says about the church in Rome to other churches, say in Corinth or Galatia, Paul highly commends them. Because of their good deeds, that's what goodness means, doing good, knowledge and maturity to teach others. But of course, we know there is no perfect church this side of eternity, right? So the very division between Jews and Gentiles in Rome is but one example of how they are still imperfect. And so even with this courteous commendation of them, Paul also boldly gave some needed correctives to the church. He says, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, parents learn from experience, right? That it's often much easier and far better to teach and to correct a young child when they go astray, rather than to wait and then to try to remedy a long-standing bad habit in their youth or young adulthood. So, for example, if you don't teach them to clean up their own mess, their room, then you'll end up to be the cleaner, for life, right? cleaning up after them. So this is a general principle. It's not a promise from Proverbs 22. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Especially if we understand our roles as parents to be, we are to be stewards of these young lives given us by God, to raise them to love and to worship God. Now, as a spiritual parent, Paul also understands his apostolic, his apostolic responsibility, and he isn't afraid to exercise that authority. So he admonishes the church in Rome when they depart from the way of God, the way of goodness, and they depart from their knowledge in how they, love, they have judged and despised each other. But here Paul doesn't presume on his apostolic role. He calls it, in verse 15, the grace given me by God, which is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He remembers deeply 
God's undeserved grace in his own life. He recalls his past, how he was a zealous persecutor of God's church, how the risen Lord Jesus had met him on the road to Damascus and caught him to carry his name to the Gentiles. So his salvation is by grace, and he understands. And his response is stated in sacrificial terms. He's engaging in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Now, to understand it rightly, Paul is not saying that in some way Christ's sacrifice was insufficient, that he has to make up for it. He wasn't making an offering for that purpose. No, his priestly service is to preach or to proclaim the gospel of God. His living sacrifice is the Gentiles who obey the gospel and are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul understands that the holiness of the church, even though it's, he's got a part in it, but it is ultimately God's work. The Holy Spirit must sanctify the church. But he does understand that he has a part and we have a part to play in it as well. So I pray that as a church, we will also be receptive to the Lord's admonishment and correction. Sometimes it may come through his appointed leaders in the church, in our discipleship groups or our ministries. And I also pray that leaders would understand more and more our God-given responsibility to humbly and yet boldly speak the truth in love, so that the body of Christ might be built up. And in this way, may ARPC be presented as a, an acceptable sacrifice to God that's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It is on the basis of God's grace that Paul could say in verse 17, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul's only boast is in what Christ has done for him and through him. Through his teaching and example, the Gentiles have been brought to the obedience of faith, that is, to believe the gospel and so obey God. Paul says that this is done by Christ through him. And so I suspect that Paul's favorite song might have been, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. But this doesn't mean that Paul himself didn't struggle in doing this work. Right? But the Spirit has to empower Paul to do this work even granting him the power of signs and wonders. This phrase, signs and wonders, only appears one more place uh, in Paul's writings, and that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. There Paul calls signs and wonders the signs of a true apostle. So these are given by the Lord Jesus to authenticate the apostolic authority of his sent out ones, his apostles. We mustn't expect signs and wonders to be the norm today, since there are no modern-day apostles, right? Though, of course, we acknowledge that God can still work these signs and wonders if he wills. He's got the freedom to do so. Verse 19, Paul is confident that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. 
In recalling his ministry to the Gentiles so far, Paul could trace an arc from Jerusalem westward to Illyricum, which is the Roman province that spans the Adriatic Sea to the Danube River. In this whole region, Paul says that he has faithfully discharged the ministry Christ entrusted to him, which is to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. And because of this ministry, Paul has so far been unable to visit Rome. See, by this time, Rome was already filled with Christians, so Christ was already well known in Rome. But Paul's ambition is to proclaim Christ to unreached places as much as possible. But we also read earlier in chapter 1 that Paul does yearn to see the church in Rome. He does want to come to them to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them, and so that they might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So on one hand, we have Paul's ambition to bring the gospel to places where Christ has not been named, but also his desire to see the Romans. But we cannot deny that while with this is intention, Paul's commitment to take part in God's plan is undeniable. So do we also ask sometimes as we have ambitions and we have desires, whether these are both in alignment with God's plan? And are we submitting our will to his as the Lord Jesus did. Finally, in the last section, Paul talks about their part, the part of the Roman church and ours in God's plan. He says this in verse 23, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Having fully discharged his gospel ministry from Jerusalem to Illyricum, Paul is now setting his sights to the next frontier, to Spain, for the next phase of his ministry. And now suddenly Rome comes into the picture. Perhaps he sees Rome as possibly a, a support base for this new phase in his ministry. And so if you look at this map, uh, it's a bit small, but Jerusalem is on your right, okay? and we see that Paul's plan is to head from Jerusalem uh, to Spain, which is on, in the east, or Hispania on the map. Okay? So Hispania is one of the Roman provinces on the Iberian Peninsula, and Rome would be in the path, so under Italia, right? in the, somewhere in the right. Okay? He would have to pass through Italia, and Rome is there, modern-day Italy. Rome will be a strategic launch pad into Spain by sea. And from there, Paul could get ample support from the, support, uh, from the believers there before he heads westward into Spain. So he can keep coming between Spain and Rome. Now, these are Paul's plans. It's not known for sure whether Paul eventually did arrive in Spain as he planned. But we know that he did arrive in Rome. Not as, his plan, not as his planned, but in chains as a prisoner for the Lord. So Paul's travel plans may change along the way, but God's salvation plan never changed. And God's salvation plan is always perfect to accomplish our salvation. Now, in going to Rome, Paul wasn't just trying to make use of the Roman Christians. He also wants to enjoy their company for a while. 
So it's not a one-way transaction that Paul says, I take and take and take. Paul says in verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And he says in, in chapter 1 that he wants to come to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen the church in Rome. So it is I give and take. Right? It's a give and take relationship. Paul desires to preach the gospel to encourage them to continue to obey God in faith and to be encouraged as well personally by their faith and obedience. So, you see, the gospel isn't just proclaimed in order to win unbelievers to faith in Christ. It's also proclaimed to believers as well, to bring about the obedience of faith. So if you are starting to get bored each week as we come to church or to discipleship group or to basic because you say every week we just hear the same gospel, right? We just hear about Jesus. Well, don't be bored because we do need to be reminded regularly. Everyone needs to hear the gospel so that we will learn to obey God in faith. Next, Paul shares his present travel plans from verse 25 onwards. He says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Now, if Paul says he wants to travel to Rome, why is he now traveling in the opposite direction? The Gentile believers in the Roman provinces of Macedonia and Achaia, they have joyfully and willingly given for the relief of the impoverished believers in Jerusalem because an earlier famine had ravaged the Jewish population there. And now Paul was going in the opposite direction as to Korea for this aid. Why does Paul have to highlight this? Perhaps this is to remind the Gentile believers in Rome once more, one more time how they do owe a spiritual debt of love to the Jews. And so he says in verse 27, if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So likewise, Gentile believers in Rome shouldn't despise their Jewish brothers and sisters. Rather, they should seek to try to love and serve them. And the generosity of this Gentile church is a model to them of that. It may also be a model for the Roman believers as well to one day when Paul finally arrives to extend hospitality to him. But another way that the church in Rome can be a part of God's salvation plan, Paul tells them, is through their prayers. Verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now, Paul here actually describes prayer as a corporate struggle, right? To strive together with me or to contend with me in prayer. It's because this word here, the Greek word for strive together, actually contains the word that becomes agonize in the English. So the word is sunagonizomai, 
Long word, sunagonigizomai, uh, which contains agonize, agonize. Right? So he asked for prayer from them in two aspects. Firstly, for deliverance from the foes of the gospel. And secondly, for favor among friends towards Paul's ministry. So brothers and sisters, when we gather each month in our church prayer fellowship to pray for the world, for missionaries and ministries in church, and when we pray in our discipleship groups as well, we are actually agonizing in prayer together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just those who are present in the prayer, but also those who are, whom we are praying for who are away from us. We are actually partnering them in, in a struggle for the sake of the gospel. So finally, let us consider some implications for ourselves today. Will you and I be a part of God's plan? Our plans have changed because of COVID, because of the lockdown and the subsequent restrictions. Ever since 2020, we are so used to change, right? All the places and people we wanted to visit, all the events and concerts and gatherings we wanted to be at. And that's why there's so much revenge travel and revenge buying going on today. But for some of us, very sadly, there were dear family and friends we had wanted to meet whom we cannot meet anymore. There are places we want to go that have changed forever due to the pandemic. What can we do about them? Brothers, sisters, friends, our shattered dreams can sometimes cut us very deep. Our crushed hopes can break us down. But when we see that our dreams and hopes are always subservient, serving God's good and wise plans for our lives, we can learn to trust Him. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28. We can also declare with Paul, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Romans 14, verses 7 to 8. So we may not be able to go for that dream holiday or to meet that beloved person. But in God's divine plan, in which he includes all his beloved children, there is an eternal holiday. There is that forever gathering of his people in the new creation. So while our personal hopes and dreams may go unfulfilled in this life, God's plan for us has never changed and will certainly be fulfilled into eternity. And he has sealed this for us in Jesus Christ, the hope of the Gentiles. So friends, if you have not been part of this salvation plan, then I suggest to you the first step to become part of God's plan is to simply believe and to be saved, and then that sets you on this journey. And for those of us who have trusted God for our salvation, may we also trust in God's plan, and may we also see that we can get involved in God's salvation plan for the world. We've seen that, like Paul, there are those who go across the seas to reach people cross-culturally very often. There are also others, like us, who stay. And some of us who stay have the opportunities to reach out locally 
to the foreigners in our midst, starting from our own homes with the domestic helpers in your own home, or in our estates with the migrant workers, or perhaps in your workplaces with your colleagues. We can always learn to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. And I think that this book that I have in my hand is a wonderful example. Right? This is titled Serving Tea, or in Chinese, Cha Shi Ni Ren Xing. It's a collection of short interviews with the ladies who are part of the Pearl Family Garden Women's Center, located in Taipei, where our sister Sing Yi has served for the past 14 years or so. These are stories of women whose lives have been changed by this ministry. So someone had to go to work in this place to serve them. And our sister Sing Yi is coming back end of this year, likely for good. But throughout these 14 years that she was there, there's been a steady group of brothers and sisters in Christ who've been praying along with them, agonizing with her in prayer and sending her encouragement. And you know who you are. They are in our midst. Around 30 copies of this book, which is just published middle of last year, have been brought back by hand to brothers and sisters who visited Sing Yi in Taiwan. Right? And they, they went, met up with her, encouraged her, and offered to bring this book back so that we can sell them at bookends. This is my personal copy, so don't snatch it. Right? So there are those who go, others who stay, but even those who stay can support the goers to prayer and physical help. We close with the story of a Singaporean mission leader. You might have heard of him in the news, uh, Joseph Chen, who tragically died in a traffic accident while traveling in Istanbul on Wednesday. Joseph was National Director of Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, until earlier this year. And he was on a break after teaching in a nearby country. You can read more of, on him in the papers as well as online. But I remember hearing him as a youth in my former church, when at the time he was serving as a youth pastor in another church. And we, we used to invite lots of guest speakers to the service as well as to the youth fellowship. So there were lots of them, but I remember him particularly. I remember his name because his zeal left a deep impression on me. Pastor Jeff Chong, chairman of Love Singapore, eulogizes about Joseph. He says, there are few people I know who lived a life with such love for Jesus, and even fewer who have given so much to follow his call. I was privileged to serve alongside him and witness his infectious passion firsthand. So such a fervent man of God, right? But as Jeff Chong said, so few of them. How many of us can be like this? Well, so what about the rest of us? Personally, when I met Joseph Chien when, in my youth, I didn't know that he failed his GCEO levels twice and attempted suicide as a result. One day, he met the friend who had led him astray in his early teens. By then, they were 18. And this friend had become a Christian. So feeling sorry for Joseph, he brought him home because he was apologetic. Sorry, I, brought, I led you astray. Let me bring you home. And his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Wee, took him in, fed him, and clothed him. He described in this 2019 article, they weren't a wealthy family, but they opened up their home and let me stay with them. People slept on the floor wherever there was a space because the couple had three sons. 
and the food we ate was very simple. They cooked whatever they had and would open another can of luncheon meat just so that everyone could have something to eat. They had no clue that this young boy would one day become the national director of YWAM and have an impact in many countries, because, all because they were willing to open their doors to me and accept me and be willing to show me what it means to be family. So brothers and sisters, you and I can also be a part of God's salvation plan, whether by believing or giving or praying or going. We don't have to be rich or gifted or special in any way. We just have to be faithful to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. We just have to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. And that's only possible through God's grace in us as we understand God's mercy to us. It's only possible by the finished work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Whatever our plans may be, may we be a part of God's saving plan. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your salvation plan that has never changed and has always included all your children whom you foreknew and predestined. We thank you for calling us to salvation by your grace in Christ, in the Lord Jesus who died for us while we were still weak, sinners, and your enemies. We thank you for your justification and glorification, without which we shall certainly be lost. Please help us now to respond to your grace with the obedience of faith you desire in us. As your spirit works in us, may we willingly lose our life for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Make us unashamed of his name and zealous for the good works you've created us for. Make us a small part of your plan to save the world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.